Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Journey, a 16-week odyssey of grit, determination, endurance, and will, where the weak are exposed and the strong revered. From Believe Entertainment, this is Falcon's Flight. Insights and analysis on your Atlanta Falcons. Now, here's Robert Taylor and your host, Brian Giffen. It is Falcon's Flight, and this would be edition number 20. Can you believe it? As we take one step closer, one inexorable step closer, to the end of the crap show that has been 2020 in essentially all respects, just about. Brian Giffen with Robert Taylor. This is Falcon's Flight, and we're very happy to have you with us. And before we dive into the latest, greatest fatest, whatever you want to say. We want to remind you that the wait is finally over. In fact, it's been over a while. Football is back. You might not be at the game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than any place online. And there is always the online casino as well. It never closes. So head to betonline.ag today. And take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Rob, you know, the Falcons, we lamented the fact last week that they had clinched a non-winning season. And now they have slipped to 4-9. and nine. They have eliminated themselves from the playoffs officially. Although many of us knew this probably happened weeks ago. So... Without further ado, by request, he's back. <laughs> Great minds think alike. A, a moment of silence for our Atlanta Falcons <laughs> as they somehow at four and nine have been eliminated from the playoffs. Yeah. So they lose to the, the San Diego, Los Angeles, Los Angeles, Irwindale, Inglewood. Let's go ahead and pull that down. <laughs> the former, the yeah. artist formerly known as the San Diego Chargers, who had, by the way, been blown out by a sub-500 team the week before, but nevertheless, they fall to four and not. There are a lot of things to digest. If you can keep everything down, what are your thoughts? Well, I want to meet the Falcons fan that was still holding out that we might make the playoffs. It's, it's pretty funny when I read that this morning that they'd been officially eliminated. Like, there was actually ever a chance, <laughs> you know, a snowball's chance in hell. And not starting 0-5. You know, that they were getting in. Now, good news is the Falcons have jumped up three spots to the number seven pick in the draft now. And that grand debate begins of who do you take with that pick? Do you go quarterback and start to groom for the future? Now, Matt Ryan's 35 Says he still has plenty left in the tank. Says he still feels fresh. He just hasn't played well this season. Whatever reason that is. Is, is it play calling or whatever? Or is it just the year that it's been? And I will say this. For some of you Falcons fans that are still just dogging Matt Ryan, you don't know what you have in that quarterback. And guess what happened Sunday? He passed Peyton Manning. And he now is the number one in NFL history of any quarterback. First 13 seasons, he's thrown for more yards than anyone. Joe Montana, Tom Brady, run down the list. They're all underneath him. That speaks for itself. He's a great quarterback. It's been a little bit disturbing lately, though, that the consistent offense that you come to expect from this group really hasn't been there. It's been several weeks now this offense hasn't played very well. I agree with you that he's got plenty of football left there. Sometimes you go out there and you don't have your best day. And sometimes, like in any sport, you can go through a bit of a slump. And I suspect that's really kind of what's going on here. But nonetheless, they slipped to four and nine. I don't know about you, Rob. You know, we had this on at work. With our schedules, it's really almost impossible to ever sit and completely digest every play of a game. It's just the nature of life these days. But 
the number of guys who, frankly, I'd never even heard of that <laughs> contributed for the Chargers in this game. I'd never heard of Austin Eckler. Eckler? I've no, heard it mentioned. I have but, no idea who that yeah. is. But, you know, the other guys like that. I think it just speaks to that vernacular we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Egg beaters and world beaters. Well, now, after a week of world, they've bounced back or bounced forward or whatever you want to say with back-to-back eggs. And this was the ultimate matchup of two egg beaters, two franchises that in a lot of respects are remarkably similar. Generally speaking, their existence has been kind of meh. I guess one difference, the Falcons have always been in Atlanta. They haven't been in San Diego, Inglewood, Irwindale, all these different places, Los Angeles twice. The point is, though, that there are a lot of similarities between these franchises. They've been to Super Bowls and haven't won one. The, and now, granted, Atlanta's been better in recent years, but most years in their history, meh. It is what it is. I, I just think the grind of 2020 is worn on this team. I think the losing has worn on this team. And now it's like, how do you still get amped up for a game, even as a professional, when you know the coaching staff that you're working under will not be there next year? Even as professional as they may sound or you know claim that they are, they're still wondering, well, who are we going to get? You know they're thumbing through the papers a little bit or checking social media. So, you know, it's been tough. And Newsflash, Matt Ryan's a human being, and the reason why the Falcons lost on Sunday is because of Matt Ryan. He threw those two late picks. He's already said, man, I made bad calls. I didn't play well. I would love to have those two throws back, but I can't. On to the next game. And honestly, I don't care what anybody says to the media. You know these guys are ready to be done, man. This season is a wash. They have nothing left to play for other than pride. And that can only get you so far, I think, in in professional, any kind of sport. When you see that you're struggling and and you're just not getting it done, pride only goes so far. It really does. Well, Ryan, for his part, 21 of 32 in the game, did throw for one score, but three picks, as you just talked about, including two in the waning moments of the game. The troubling trend on the offensive side that continues in this game, they went one for three in the red zone. But here you sit again, 29th in the NFL in terms of red zone execution. That just doesn't get it done. When you're down there to cash in, you've got to cash in. And again, it'll be interesting to see, because you know whoever they hire, be it the head coach or the offensive coordinator, the first question that just about any media person is going to ask them, what's your plan to solve the red zone problem? And it'll be fun to see what their plan is. And and obviously, they're not going to give away the playbook, but they're going to be able to kind of throw something out there, some fodder out there for the media people to chew on. And again, like I said, I did, I was able to see quite a bit of the game on Sunday, but I was in the kitchen cooking a birthday dinner. So it was kind of, let me step in here and take a look and come back. And I will say one thing, that stadium, wow. It's beautiful. It really is a fantastic place to play, and man, anyone would love to play there, but yeah, just a beautiful stadium. That's about the only takeaway I got from that game. (laughs) Obviously, we're all about the Falcons here, but the reality is, back to the egg beater thing again, this is one of those years. You were talking about the interim situation, and we've talked a lot about it since the coaching change was made. I think had Raheem Morris reeled off, maybe lost two of the remaining 11 games, he had reeled off a 9-2, and two, something like that. Maybe even, you know, an 8-3, and three, it might be a different story. But where you sit now, 4-4, four and four, you've kind of snatched a couple games. They've certainly played better, 4-4 four and four through 8 games, but... I think you've kind of sealed, at least with the roster and everything else that's currently constructed and the coaching staff, et cetera, et cetera, that it's time to sweep the floor heavily. doesn't mean you don't hang on to really valuable pieces, but it's time to put a whole bunch of new culture pieces in place and draw a new map. Oh, 100%. And one thing I'm going to touch on here is you said, you know, getting rid of pieces. Oh, Falcons fans. <laughs> See, you're, you're, you're spending yeah. all that time well, on Twitter, man. Yeah, I, and I have been more <laughs> active, in, but I have been spending you know, about 20 minutes here and there each day. And I swear, man, some of our fans are hypercritical. They're thick-headed as can be, and they think too much with their hearts and not their minds because everybody, the hot take is what they call mm-hmm. it, is just trade Ryan and Julio. Well, it's not that simple, and you can maybe shed a little light on this, and I was hoping to maybe talk to Scott, but he's under the weather today, our guy Scott Johns with the Atlanta Falcons, so get well, Scott. But I've tried to explain this, and to again, to steal your term, it's a very familiar term on this show, ad nauseum. It's not that simple. It's not as simple as trade Matt and Julio, and why? Because it's a cap issue. It's dead money. Even if you trade them, 
you're still going to have to pick up some of that salary, which goes towards your cap of how you can bring in other players. And they're like, well, no, you could still do it. No, you literally cannot. And they said, well, the next GM could just take a loss for the next. What NFL GM is going to come into a new situation and go, yeah, we'll just have another losing season. <laughs> it's. Not, I don't know if there's ever been a GM that said that. No, it's, it's you want to win. And there's a sense of urgency in Atlanta to win now with the talent that we have. And if they actually did that, they would set them back till almost the 2024 season to recover from that. So you really have to accept the fact and move on. But you've also got to accept and understand and start looking at stats and numbers. Matt Ryan is a very good quarterback. Julio Jones is 31 years old, guys. Yes, he has had troubles with hamstrings. And I said it, I think, on previous shows. I think he's in too good a shape. And that is a thing. And the game of football is not as rough as it used to be no, there no have way. been huge advancements in medicine so being 35 in this league in 2020 is not the same as being 35 in 1992 being 31 in this league we haven't even seen the best of julio yet and in professional sports they say typically your early 30s those are your prime years that's when you have your best production your best seasons that depends on the sport the position etc cetera, etc cetera. i would submit that for catchers, for example, in baseball, probably wouldn't be the case because of the beating that your knees and your body generally take. Goalies in hockey, you know, I really never followed hockey that closely because I'm not from a part of the country where it was ever really that big of a deal. But the Twitterverse, man, the era that we're in, you wonder how many Hall of Fame type coaches would have survived long enough to ever achieve anything that they achieved in the current times. I mean, I saw a piece a little while ago doing research for this show where somebody wrote a piece about the role that sports radio should play in a franchise selecting a new coach. I got an answer for you. None! None! Yeah. None! Yeah. Honestly, every there have there been boobs that have been general managers and head coaches? Of course there have. But I would submit to you that the people who've made decisions and placed those people and those people's pedigrees greatly qualifies them more than any troll that's out there on tri on Twitter that is just having a rant because his yeah. favorite team isn't when look I'm not trying to diminish people's knowledge of the game I love the fact that people want to have knowledge of the game and intricacies of it but you hear people throw on bandy about terms they don't even understand because they've seen them on TV or they've seen them on Twitter and it's just these people develop these vocabularies from coach speak and it perpetuates itself it's really a pathetic state of things to some degree because in the information age there's overload and there's overexposure of everything. And I think what happens is sometimes people are kind of completely tried, convicted, and executed before they ever get a chance to live. Yeah, I assure you that Arthur Blank and Rich McKay are not tuning into 680 <laughs> or Falcon's Flight or, or any other radio or podcast no. to comb for a new coach and GM. But that's the thing about, you know, in this era, everybody thinks they have the best plan to win. Like, yeah, it's like know? the thing with Skip Bayless last week, you know. You mean you mean Skip Sayless? Yeah, yeah. Self-important much? Yeah. You know, unbelievable. Anyway, the Falcons fall to 4-9. and nine. They next take on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. That'll be a game here. And, of course, it'll be one of two meetings remaining with the Bucks in this short remainder of the season as Atlanta tries to play out the string and have some pride as they go along. Let's get into our sound cuts here as Raheem Morris, who, as we talked about now, 4-4 four and four as a head coach, talks about execution breakdowns versus the Chargers. You know, I think it was a little bit of both. You know, we had a couple of eternal mistakes. We had one eternal mistake, a big one, you know, on third down and one. Uh, when you go the wrong way on the play, you have a big-time breakdown. Uh, we're able to bounce back from some of the mistakes and be able to come back and put ourselves in position to win and just not able to close those things out. we got to do a better job of finishing games. The second week in a row, we're talking about finishing the game, particularly on the road. we got to be able to get these wins in those, in those type of moments. Yeah, a couple things there that we've heard a lot of around here. Weren't able and got to do a better job. And, you know, obviously at 4-4, four and four, that's respectable. They're playing better than they certainly started where they were a train wreck the first five weeks. But 4-4 four and four isn't enough necessarily, especially given the way the 4-4 four and four has happened, I think, to warrant extending a staff that's been in place. You could make the case, Rob, and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, that when they moved on, in hindsight, and that's always 2020, when they moved on from Mike Smith, they probably should have moved on from Thomas at that point, too. 
when they brought Dan Quinn in here, maybe the slate should have just been clean with a whole new administrative structure, football operations-wise, to see how... I mean, we'll never know because it's revisionist history to say what might have happened, but... In hindsight, when you blow out the coach, who's the lead, basically the COO on the football side, how do you not align somebody with the new person in that position at the same time? An interview that way, where you you know your process involves bringing a tandem of people that are going to come in and, and address the issues you're having. Yeah, and it seems like the trend these days too, like moving forward. And I've seen some things in the news that GM and coaches are, are starting to become like package deals now. With one comes, and the maybe other. that's not a bad thing. Yeah. And I'll have to go back and do some research. I don't recall ever seeing any kind of news pieces on what the logic was to keep Dimitrov or, you know, what kind of conversations they well, had. He drafted Matt Ryan and acquired Julio Jones. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he didn't do bad. That's um, really from a personnel perspective. You know, they went out and got Alex Mack. That was a good signing. But for every couple of those, and Matt Ryan's a franchise player, as is Julio Jones, but for every couple of those, you have more of the Tack McKinley. And the I would definitely say Dimitrov has more busts than he does successes in the Falcons organization right now. There's a laundry list of guys that are no longer here that he brought in. And like I said, probably the postseason is going to be more fun than the regular season for the Falcons just because there's going to be so much going on and so much happening. And your main pieces are staying, obviously. Grady Jarrett's going to be back on the defensive side of the ball. Matt Ryan and Julio. I would be floored if anything happened to those guys. It would be mind-blowing, literally mind-blowing, like jaw-dropping, like, holy cow, I can't believe they did that just because of the setback. And that's going to be – I'm ready. I'm ready. To the best of my knowledge, and I know we'll get into this later, I don't think Tom Brady's ever lost to the Falcons, and I don't, don't think he ever will. <laughs> It's sad to say as a fan, but I just that's how little confidence I have in them to show up and perform every week. You know, they very well could finish the season, drop these last three games. Very much is the nature of an inconsistent football team. And look, you know, to close the thought on the whole general manager situation and coach situation, I mean, look, this is rocket science. There's a reason that most franchises in all of sports have blown out a coach every three or four years or, you know, had one leave and a general manager and all it's hard, man. It's hard. And getting the right people to do it and the right combination of people, and back to the buy-in stuff we talked about last week, getting all those pieces in place and aligning those with a year where you get every bounce, you get every break, maybe your schedule a couple of places has a softer spot than original. You know what I mean? There's a lot of things that go into getting this right, and that's why so many people come and go. Doesn't matter what sport it is, too. Well, I think Falcons fans are also just a little butthurt, too, just because they see the successes of the Bill Belichicks and, you know, the Niners and the Packers, and everybody still cries about Brett Favre. But I can tell you right now, if Brett Favre would have stayed in Atlanta, he wouldn't have been anywhere near the quarterback he became in Green that's Bay. That's a perfect match with Mike Holmgren and the style of play. Yeah, that's see, that, that plays to what I'm talking about. Yeah, the Falcons are very jealous, and they want that. And I'm like, you don't realize how crazy that is when those dynasties happen. The fact that the Patriots have been relevant for 20 years. No doubt. That will never happen again in football. No, I agree with you. Ever. I, so I agree with you. That's what Atlanta wants. They want some guy to come in here and stay for 10, 12 seasons and win four titles. And, man, it ain't easy. It really isn't easy. And, you know, how many players? There's definitely more draft crash stories than success stories, I would think. Well, if, if you could line them all up over the years of guys that were first-round picks or high picks and they just didn't make it and again like you said so much has to happen yeah this year a winning team could come across hey we came across the saints right at the right time because they didn't have drew Brees. Yeah, precisely and we, and we took them out philadelphia just did it to them and i think that's one thing atlanta fans can't seem to wrap their brain around because they can't think logically i think a lot of atlanta fans their thinking is clouded by emotions and jealousy and, and a lot of other things They're jaded by years oh, well, yeah. of mediocrity and or ineptitude and you know yeah. this, this is not a slight to the heck i produced the falcons on radio years ago not really a slight to the franchise and certainly not the fan base it's just that that's the kind of the i don't want to say sorry history but mediocre at best history that the franchise has and this is an important moment if you're gonna turn it always is when administratively you're gonna make a change it's an important moment if you're ever going to change the culture <laughs> or it could be like Don Sutton always used to say a new five-year plan every three years yeah and I think 
I don't know if this will hold true, but I think the precedent has been set, at least with Dan Quinn and the and opportunities and the chances he got to keep his job. I think you have to afford that to the next guy. And really, when I went back and did research on Mike Smith, I still think that guy got hosed, man. Four winning four well, no five, five got him. Five winning seasons. Yeah. I think four playoff appearances. Then he has two bad seasons and he's bounced. Yeah. And I really hope you know, I've said it before, I hope they take their time, but I hope it happens quickly. See, and, then- and he and Thomas came in here at the same time and they did manage now, they didn't get it all the way to the top of the mountain, but they did manage to change the culture. And that's kind of my point in all of this is that man, it's hard. There's a reason that all these franchises have had to do this over and over and even some of the successful ones. Green Bay is a good example, recent years, really dating back to the Holmgren era. They've made administrative and or changes along the way, and they've not been new england level but they've largely been a relevant strong tough solid franchise for 20 plus years now yeah and they got a great shot at getting back to the big game this year i definitely thought rogers would have more than one super bowl title by now but it's hard man but again the the one thing that you can say about dan quinn coach smith mike smith and dimitrov is falcons football wasn't really relevant or all that successful until they arrived we have seen our best falcons football just in the last 10, 15 yeah. years, you had a bright spot with Glanville. He, you know, he made the playoffs a couple times. Sure. And then Dan well, Reeves. Lehman Bennett back in the day. Yeah. You know, there's been some bright spots, but not consistently good football. Yep. Jim Mora, for that matter. Yeah. You know, had, a, had a brief moment where the team kind of rose up no pun intended, and went to the NFC Championship game. It happens, but you know, it goes back to what we talked about again a couple of weeks ago. Even when you're riding the crest of the wave, it's a fleeting quality, and it can get away from you in a hurry. You know, when you look around the league these days, another, this is typical of the era that we're in, the Twitterverse era, but two teams that are playing really, really well right now, as well as anybody in the league, are the Titans and the Colts neck and neck in that division you don't hear about them you hear more about the titans because nashville's probably considered a little sexier than indianapolis is and they have derrick henry who's a beast but the colts and you talked about philip rivers last week you know they're on a roll too both those teams are playing really well yet we're more caught up in well how did antonio brown do as he signed with the buck you know we're more caught up in this kind of stuff than some of the stories around the league of franchises that you don't hear much about that are playing pretty well. Well, I think the biggest storyline for me in the NFL right now is the Cleveland Browns are going to make yeah, the playoffs for the first time since uh, leather helmets. I think <laughs> <laughs> they're, yeah. you know, they're, I think they're sitting at nine and three. So. They made it one year, I believe it was one year. I mean, since they were reborn as a franchise, as a wild card, Kelly Holcomb was their quarterback. In fact, yeah. they almost beat the Steelers in the wild card game. I think before that it was the Browns. I need Browns. to show you pictures of dinosaurs yeah, too. That, uh, <laughs> I think that I think the only time before that was that Browns Broncos game. Yeah, a couple of them, two years in a row. Yeah. Well, let's get back to our cuts here. Julio Jones, as you talked about earlier, maybe in too good a shape, but he's been nicked up most of the year. Didn't play in this one. They don't know when he will. Here's Morris on Julio missing the game. I expect to see Julio at some point. We'll get him completely healthy before we put him back out there. You never put a man in harm's way. He's doing everything he can to help his team right now and everything he's able to do. He's constantly talking to us on the sideline, talking to his guys, coaching people up. Um, It was nice to see him be able to help trade out today, get him a big-time touchdown. It was awesome. Yeah, so it'll be interesting to see if he comes back. By the way, Calvin Ridley had a big game for Atlanta, had eight catches for 124 yards, and also caught one on that gadget play, the pass 39 yards from Russell Gage that was actually executed pretty well, a little bit of trickery, at least in another painful loss. That part was entertaining. Justin Herbert, though, who was part of the 45 nothing loss the week before, had enough somehow to beat the Falcons, even though they traded interceptions, he and Matt Ryan, the last few moments of the game. Here is Morris on Herbert. You know, Herbert's a really good player. You know, we talked about his poise, we talked about his ability to throw the football. I mean, we were not able to get after him to get after the passer that caused any, any real problems for him. You know, if you can get out there and cause some real problems for him, we had a chance. But we're not able to hit him enough. Um, he did get him to throw the ball to us a couple of times and make some plays, but not enough, obviously. 
Tell you what, Rob, I don't know if you got to see any of it. You said you were cooking a birthday dinner, but, you know, the last few moments of the game, it was kind of a glance up there on occasion type of thing. And every time I glanced up there, each team was throwing a pick. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was uh, it was rough. <laughs> it was um, Ugg Lee. The Lee sisters. Ugg and home. Yeah, and, and I guess one of those kind of silver lining moments, a personal milestone, is Calvin Ridley hit the 1,000-mark yard for the first time in his career. So Interesting you say that because I have Morris talking about that very topic but you're right thousand yard mark for the season he clips that even though he'd really rather win games yeah you know obviously this is not the way calvin wanted to do it calvin wanted to get those things when he thought he was talking about winning seasons not just winning this game he wants to be a part of that of winning seasons calvin's a winner he's coming from a winner he's made of a winner um he wants to get those things done with winners you know he's kind of from the same creed that i'm from stats for losers obviously that was a personal game for him and a personal thing that he wanted to do throughout the season and i'm happy that he was able to accomplish those things Talking about that trick play here a few moments ago, talked also about the fact Matt Ryan threw for one score and also three picks. Here is Ryan on the gauge to Ridley touchdown pass. It was a play that we've had up, and this week looked good. They had a wildcat adjustment where they checked to cover zero. We knew that if they did that, we were going to take our chance. The O-line did a great job holding up, and Russ did a great job of giving Cal a ball to make a play on, and, and that was a huge momentum starter for us in the first half. Rob, you were talking about the Twitterverse and how some of the people kind of go off the rails a little bit about Matt Ryan. One thing nobody can say is that he hasn't owned it when he's had bad games, and he certainly owns this one. Here he is talking about that critical pick he threw on the one intended for Hayden Hurst. I was a little late, and he did a nice job of slow playing it, but that was poor on me. I've got to get the ball out right away, give Hayden a chance to keep the chains moving, and that was late and a bad decision on my part. And Ryan, of course, you know, again, owning it, goes on to talk about the last pick that set up the Chargers to win the football game. I think I got to make a better throw, make a better decision. You know, we were probably right around plus 40. So, you know, you'd like to get inside that 40-yard line to give Koo a great chance to knock it in. That's on me. I've got to make a better throw and, you know, put it high and away on the sideline and give Cal a chance. It's just a poor throw. And Ryan talking about, and inevitably it's going to come up because he's mid-30s now. Somebody asked him about whether or not fatigue was part of the issue. Here's that. My body feels great. I feel like I'm fresh and in a good spot. I just haven't played as well as I would like, and that sometimes happens. And, you know, I'm a, a big believer in process, and so, you know, you learn from these games where you don't play your best, and you try and not make the same mistakes again and move forward and believe that when you're in those positions again, you're going to create a different outcome and i firmly believe that inevitably too people ask about you know have you given much thought to where you are in your career he talks a little bit here though as you alluded to earlier about passing peyton manning for most yards over a 13-year career and one that he certainly hopes he's got a lot of years left in it's you know always nice to be in the same sentence as peyton he's one of the best to do it of all time it's always disappointing though when things like this happen and you don't get the job done. So I'm proud of everything I've accomplished in the 13 years, but really disappointed with today. I got plenty in the tank. I just got to play better. And unfortunately, stuff like this happens sometimes in professional sports, and you just got to grind through it, and you got to find a way to be better. And I'm committed to that, and I certainly think I'll play better next week. Yeah, so there you have it. That wraps up your sound cuts for this week as Atlanta falls to 4-9. and And again, you know, four and four, I mean, if you're sitting here now at this stage of the season at 500, yeah, that's different. But when you start 0 and 5, going 4 and 4 isn't really going to cut it. And you're going to end up in that bowl of mediocrity, so to speak, that the Falcons have really been in for a long time. Yeah, it is what it is. I fully believe in Matt Ryan. I fully believe that he's healthy and fresh and he'll be back for another season. I just wish, and I hope maybe some more reports come out, that they could solve this consistency. Like, what you've covered football a very long time. How do you think you establish more consistency on the playing field on game day? What do you think are a couple of variables that man if i could figure that out i'd be the wealthiest guy you knew (laughs) honestly i mean i've seen so many different times where administrations come and go with different teams and you know they'll get it rolling for a while great example again is back to 16 when dan quinn kind of had that team humming on all cylinders and playing like a championship level team but it's just such a fleeting quality the best ones are the ones that find ways to get their teams to do it year in and year out and 
I'll tell you what, as much as they're despised here, and as much as I know you don't like them, and most people don't like them if, if you live outside that area, the Patriots are a, a great example of somehow or the other with an ever-changing cast of characters with a few mainstays in there, obviously Brady, Belichick, that brain trust, whatever word you want to use. What they've done over the 20 years is a remarkable achievement given the times that we're in and the patience level there is or in most cases isn't when you're in these kind of roles everybody wants to win now everybody wants to win yesterday you can't deny the patriots and i don't deny them my biggest problem is now i think also a key to that is bob Kraft provided them with the tools they needed to be successful yeah. and he's not a dan snyder yeah, or a jerry jones no he doubt. sat up in his box he owned the team i'm sure he has input but he said hey you guys i pay you guys to win football games, yeah. you just tell me what you need, and I'll give it to you. My biggest problem with the Patriots is their completely obnoxious fan base. <laughs> the scandals, the cheating, the rule changes, yeah. all that stuff, you know, it's just like, I mean, you did do it, but it's not like you didn't have some help here and there, and there wasn't some shady yeah, dealings. Yeah. And But not that every NFL team isn't guilty to that to some degree. You know, some people will say, if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying, you yeah. know, especially in the NFL. <laughs> Falcons got busted for piping in crowd noise. You know, that's a minor violation compared to, you know, Spygate, Deflategate, all this oh, other even, crazy. Even last year where they had somebody with a video camera that was filming the Cincinnati sideline. Yeah, everybody. They busted him at the game. You remember that? Yeah, everybody's looking for that competitive edge. And I get it, man. It's a fiercely that's that's where you know I found it a little bit, or I find it comical to a degree when I hear the overly self righteous types that want to scream that. You know, the Astros, for instance, should lose their World Series rings. Well, people who get rings when somebody wins a championship usually is a lot further and a lot more than just a handful of players banging on trash can lids. Oh, yeah. And the point is that, honestly, if, if we lived in the, the times that we live in now, I mean, imagine the way owners are treated. I mean, imagine an owner like Bob Ursay was, an, an owner that, you know— I used to see Bob Ursay with a snoot full of scotch after games, and you could tell when he was pissed. I'll just put it that way. I wasn't in the locker room when he would go in there and say things or any of that. We'd always get in there afterward. But in the age we live in, though, where franchises now are changing names, bowing to the pressure, all this other stuff, owners are scrutinized, and I guess rightly so. But it's great to have one that understands that he's the guy who owns, you know, the Maserati. It's up to the mechanic and the driver to decide how the Maserati is maintained. Yeah, hundred percent. And man, you, don't get me started on this name changing thing, man. I, <laughs> I, I know, swear I know. to God, if the Braves change their name, I swear to God, holy no, cow! Just... But now I also wonder too how long it's gonna be before Arthur Blank starts getting the dirty into the stick as as an NFL owner. Mike Smith came in and, and did well, but then kind of flamed out dan quinn came in did well kind of flamed out when are the fans going to start pointing the finger well now you know hey arthur what are, what are you doing you're not providing us with, with the proper personnel and and i don't think he has a huge hand i'm, I'm sure whoever is going to be the next coach is going to sit in a room with arthur blank but i haven't heard anything lately but i mean is he going to go to another one of those hiring firms you know, owners typically are kind of perceived a little bit for i think in most cases you know, how they run the franchise from an ownership chair. But there are owners that are really not overly vocal at all that have bad reputations and are largely disliked by their fan base. Great example is Mike Brown in Cincinnati. You know, notoriously cheap in a franchise that is even worse than certainly how we described the Chargers and Falcons a little bit ago. On the other end of the spectrum, you have a Jerry Jones who apparently Stephen Screamin' A. Smith announced yesterday, offered to go on after Jerry's on the flagship station in Dallas so he can translate what Jerry just said. <laughs> he thinks he knows Jerry speak. Didn't we sw we've swirled both those guys. Oh, they yeah. are both they're both like swirly Hall of Fame guys. But it's just the you know, so in other words, how how you're perceived as an owner oftentimes has to do more with the things that you say and the way you ca you carry yourself and out in the community. Jim Ursay is actually perceived, I think, by many that know him as a very philanthropic guy, whereas 
others who read all the stories about when he had admitted issues with substances a few years ago want to cling to that. But, you know, owners are human beings, too. And in Arthur's case, I think the way he's handled and the grace with which he's largely handled himself and the passion he shows for the job that he's in, coupled with, you know, probably that amount of success that United has had in a short... He's a committed owner who isn't a wild card, who isn't a stick of dynamite waiting to blow up somewhere. Yeah, and I think Ursay's thing, too, was in a time when NFL owners were supposed to be these very professional, you know, yeah, business-like... down. Button down. He's out there jumping out of planes and having cocktails and party <laughs> and made no bones That's about Jimmy. it. You know, he didn't care who saw it or who reported about it. He was living his life having a... He's like, sure. man, I own an NFL football team. Yeah. I'm rich. Look at me. You know, I'm having a... Yeah, I remember, having, when, you know. I remember when he was elevated to the general manager chair in Indianapolis. And, I mean, Ursay is uh, 10 or so years older than I am. But still, a guy who was relatively young and somewhat inexperienced from a coaching, scouting-type level, even though he had grown up around the franchise as his dad had bought it, back in like 1972 or whatever it was. Well, it's time for us to take a break. Fun time today, I guess, when you slip to four and nine and the franchise isn't all that relevant and you're kind of playing out the string, you stray to other topics and that's okay. Because we're good at that, dude. Yeah. We will take a break. This is Falcon's Flight. We'll set you up for the Bucks coming to town next Sunday on the other side of this timeout. Falcon's Flight, a presentation of Believe Entertainment. Back with more of it right after this. Mr. Hardwood is Atlanta's premier flooring expert, but hardwood is just the beginning. Mr. Hardwood also installs laminate, tile, vinyl, carpet, and more. Your home is likely your biggest investment. Not only can you enhance its value with beautiful new floors, but our lifetime transferable warranty will enhance the value even more. If you stand on it, Mr. Hardwood stands behind it. Mr. Hardwood is committed to setting the industry standard for all your uniquely designed and professionally installed flooring solutions. Our number one goal is to exceed our customers' needs by providing value, quality, and exceptional service even after the sale. We take great pride in high-quality craftsmanship and integrity and are not satisfied until we have exceeded your expectations. Mr. Hardwood, Atlanta's flooring experts. To set up your free consultation, call Mr. Hardwood today at 770-318-8880 or go to mrhardwoodinc.com. Like in football, whether it's in business, recreation, or life, you need a game plan. Is your computer running slow? Is it infected with viruses or malware? Maybe you're a gamer and really want a custom-built computer specifically for gaming. Perhaps like us, you want a lightning-fast, state-of-the-art, solid-state drive to replace that clunky, old-school one in your machine. Your game plan for any of this should be Computers Plus. A lot of the components we use to produce and bring you Falcon's Flight have been upgraded or provided by Computers Plus. Computers Plus is located in Ackworth, Georgia at 3330 Cobb Parkway Northwest, Suite 154. But wherever you are, they can help. Stop in and see them. They also feature a full line of accessories and refurbished equipment. Give them a call today at 770-693-0769 or check them out at computersplususa.com. You'll be glad you did. It is Falcons Flight Edition number 20. Brian Giffen with Robert Taylor. And we come your way every week here with Falcons Flight, insights and analysis on your Atlanta Falcons. And it's presented by Believe Entertainment, the number one site for podcast professionals. Do you believe both myself, Brian Giffen, and him, Robert Taylor, certainly do. We're glad to have you back with us as we get you ready for the Falcons and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Late in the season, both meetings are going to come this year. They've not played each other this season and it's the first invasion in a Bucks uniform into Mercedes-Benz Stadium for one Tom Brady, Rob Gronkowski, et cetera, et al. The Falcons could beat them, depending on which version of the Falcons you get. And the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, their record is a little deceiving because they've only really performed well against teams with losing records. When they've come up against teams with better records, they haven't fared well. They've actually lost. So, again, it's another one of those... 
I don't know what to say. I, I really I don't have any predictions. I, I don't have confidence in the Falcons, I can tell you that. And why should you? Why should anyone? I would be lying if I was going to, you know, I'm not that Falcons fan that says, we're, we're going to get them this week. No, we're, we're, we're probably not. <laughs> <laughs> we're most decidedly not going to get them. Yeah, you know. Well, uh, who knows at this point? I mean, but the good news is that, like we referenced a little bit earlier, they are working toward starting yet another new culture that'll have new people making decisions. And invariably, you know, it's an interesting dynamic, Rob, that they came out with all new uniforms prior to this year. Now, next year, they're going to come out with largely new people occupying those uniforms because that's the way these things go once they make the level of administrative change that needs to be made. But at this point, as a professional, I think you still try to play hard. You still try to win games. That's a rival. That's a team you're going to see for every year, twice, for a long, long time to come and have for a long time. And as a rival, you go out there and fight tooth and nail the same way you do every week. I mean, if I'm playing for the Falcons, I'm just hanging a bunch of pictures of Tom Brady up in the locker room. <laughs> That's all the only motivation I need. Now, going back to what you just said, I do understand being a competitor. I do understand playing hard, but... Why on God's green earth are you trying to cart Julio back out there if you can, if he's healthy, in a year that doesn't matter? He's your he's a marquee. He's your number one wide receiver. Why risk doing any further damage to that hamstring? And why even bother getting Gurley out there? Now again, hey, maybe we can run him out and they can have a great, especially Gurley. You know, hey, maybe he performs well and we can get a little more value for him if he doesn't come back. But a guy like Julio, who you know is coming back, who you know changes the game if he's on the field. It's a different ball game when he's out there playing. Why in these last three games, why would you not just come to him and have a really heart-to-heart with him and say, hey, bud, let's shut you down. The hamstring has nagged you all season. Let's not push it. Let's not force it. I know you want to be out there. I know you want to finish strong and, and help your team win, but let's think about next season. This one's gone. Well, it's an age-old thing, though. You wrestle with the fact that not only is he being paid very well, but he's about to be paid even better. And if it is in the cards, and I'm not saying it is, but if it is in the cards that someone were to trade him away when they came in, then you almost are stronger making the case if you're going to do that than if you're going to keep him. Because three, four weeks, whatever it is left, of course you don't go out there and just go 40 plays a game or something like that. You use him in the ideal situations, but... In other words, I think it's more likely you play him if you plan to keep him, if he's able to go, that is, than it is if you maybe were going to trade him. But, man, that's going to be the fun thing about the whole hot stove element. We have no idea what in the hell they're going to do next. We'll have to wait and see who's going to be making the decisions first. Yeah, there's a name that they keep throwing out there in news recently, you know, sources say or whatever, Lewis Riddick. And nothing against Lewis Riddick. He actually played for the Falcons for a short time. I looked at his resume. I, I just don't see why anybody thinks he has the qualifications to step in and be a quality GM. I mean, he's been head of scouting and whatnot for the Eagles and a couple other places, but I don't want him as our GM, and I hope that doesn't happen. Well, it'll be interesting. You know, he's been talked about for a lot of different openings, and I don't know as much about his background as I might some others. I would submit to you, and I was thinking about this before you got to the studios today, how much better really both baseball and football would do with a, a better commissioner, somebody who kind of embodies what the sport is about. There'll be more on that in our soon-to-be world-famous swirly segment coming your way in this little bit. That's called a tease when you're in radio. But, you know, the point is that obviously if he's a guy that, I mean, look, the, the list goes on and on of guys that have said, remember Ryan Grigson in Indianapolis? I mean, he's still in somebody's front office, but people rise to these levels or ascend to these levels Rick Smith, who did it with the Texans, put together some pretty good teams. They just couldn't quite get over the hump. That's another guy who's been talked about for the opening here. There are probably any number, or there are definitely any number, of qualified candidates out there. And whether or not they succeed coming in here is largely dependent on other people. And, you know, how the chemistry all comes together and how the plan all comes together and the personnel all comes All those moving parts, all those variables... Back to my original point from last segment and all along, it's hard. And one thing I can say is look at what the NFL has become under Roger Goodell. Because if you look at the NFL's target audience, what is it, 18 to 50 or 18 to 45? I'm in that target audience. Yeah. And, and there was a time when if there was a Monday night game, 
That's what I was doing. It must see. It did not matter what was going on in the world, who called me. Hey, we're going over here to do such and such. Well, I'm watching the game. Yeah. Can I watch the game over there and, and actually have some sound? If I can, I'll come. If I can, no, I'm going here. Now, I really don't care. He let politics creep into the sport and a lot of other crazy things. And the NFL has become a not as good as of a product as it used to be on his watch. And somebody's got to hold yeah. it. But who's there to hold him accountable for that? The owners, yeah. but see, they're beholden to the very large TV deals that he gets for them, which, based on the growth and popularity of the league, the last few times those negotiations have been up, have been astronomical dollars. In other words, he's made them money. So Jerry Jones tried to, to his credit, the one thing I've always admired Jerry for was tried to get Roger ousted from there. Honestly, I believe that Steve Young is the guy that would make the greatest NFL commissioner that could restore the game from the standpoint of, you know, it being about football and it being about watching the game and about your team being in the race, not all this other stuff. And Steve Young is, you know, a guy who is an attorney mm-hmm. and and certainly understands contracts. He's a TV guy, so he certainly understands TV. He's a former MVP. He's a former MVP of a Super Bowl. That's a dream scenario for me, but I think that's the one way you could fix it. I wonder if Steve has ever expressed any interest when I, or, or or if he's ever been asked about that job. Well, I would submit that he probably hasn't been asked, but I've talked to some other folks about this that are really in the same camp you and I are, that used to have a ton of... Look, I wouldn't have gone and tried to get jobs working in the league if I didn't have tremendous passion for the league and you know wound up in varying roles working for seven different teams, still for one of them, just as a stringer. But the point is that all of that started because you know I had this unbelievable passion for the game like a lot of people did and I get the sense in a lot of people I talk to man I mean daily during the season as we talk about this podcast and various other things I get it from so many people Robert that are right where you are that they're not passionate about the current version of the product and that's a troubling thing I read something this morning so the Thursday night deal is up about to be up now and there's speculation that nobody's going to bid on it among the TV networks. And the league potentially will sell the Thursday night thing to Amazon, which will thrust them into being, you know, an exclusive NFL carrier, whatever it is. Those games are awful. I don't know who in the hell would pay $10 for any of those Thursday night games. But they do have color rush uniforms. Yeah. My gosh, man. But the point is that I think the Thursday games are honestly part of the problem because now you're really on the brink of oversaturation. And it's a sad reality when you have players and technology and analytics and all these things as good as they are that you can't manage to have four or five compelling matchups that are really worthy of prime time either based on the way those teams are playing or who they even are in some cases well here's a question i got i could be wrong now the parody is there everyone knows this because hey the eagles just knocked off the saints jalen hurts and the eagles just beat the saints so and that's happened a lot but I also the Washington football yeah. team handed the Steelers. But I also feel like there aren't as many winning teams in the league. There's more mediocrity when it comes to the records. Like you turn on a Thursday night game, and to me, it seemed like years ago, it was two teams you wanted to see. But now it's like NFL Thursday night Falcons Chargers, and I'm like, who? What? <laughs> You don't want one team's four and eight and the other one's three and nine. Who cares? This goes back to I don't what we want to watch bad about football. Earlier. This goes back to what we were talking about earlier, though. So we talked about the Titans and the Colts, you know, the stories where teams are playing. The Bills. The Bills have their first 10-win season since the 1990s. This just in, those were a while ago. Yeah. And, I mean, the Bills were a great franchise back then, and everybody remembers that was around or certainly knows their history how dominating they were to go to four straight Super Bowls. That's another thing. Even though the Twitterverse stuff really started after that, I mean, that's one of the greatest accomplishments that never gets acknowledged. How in the hell does it not get acknowledged that you were good enough to win your conference four consecutive years and just happened to run into somebody who played better or was a buzzsaw the day of the Super Bowl? But that's the cruel price, I guess, of not being the, the dog who finishes on top of the heap. Yeah. 100%. That said, as we talk about heaps, 
Yeah. You got your smartwatch? I know you've got your phone over there. What time is it? Well, if it's correct, it is swirly time. Swirly time. Swirly time. The Falcon's flight crew is intolerant of Jack Azaray. There is a special place where morons are plunged headlong into a blue vortex of irony. Where imbeciles are irrigated, dumbasses are drenched, and abject idiocy rinsed away. Where pompous assery comes face to face with porcelain. Where chlorine, tidy bowl, and bleach administer swift, swirling justice. This is our Game of Thrones, where mindsets and hairstyles are forever altered. It is the Falcon's Flight Swirly segment. Now let's get this party started. He says with authority as we shine up the handle again. We lift the lid again. And we swirl some imbeciles yet again. Yep, time for the world-famous, soon-to-be world. Well, no, it is world-famous because our listeners in Great Britain enjoy this early segment. Thank you, mates, as we steam along here in edition, edition 20 of Falcon's Flight. But time for the world-famous swirly segment. And even though this is a football-centric show, I'm going to switch sports for a moment. And I'm going to tune over to the world of Major League Baseball. So in the latest Manfredism, 43 minor league franchises now no longer exist as affiliated franchises. As Rob Manfred and Major League Baseball seek to control more of the operations in and the money derived from minor league baseball, which is as big a staple in the cultural development of the game, in the development of fan bases, fans of players, fans of teams that there is in the game, and one of the lifeblood elements, I think, that had made baseball America's favorite pastime. Well, 43 of those affiliated franchises are gone because, like the elimination of scouts, we don't need as many players or evaluators. They, In other words, they're saving a few bucks, by ousting all kinds of people from their jobs. They're ousting opportunities for players. There are players, Robert, that in the history of baseball have gone on to Hall of Fame careers that would have never, ever, ever gotten a sniff were it not for their, in some cases, unlikely ascent through the minor leagues where they just proved that they could play that hard every day and that they worked that hard every day. They had the right mental approach to the game every day. It is sad, man. I mean, in a time where baseball's after, ardently after this younger, hipper audience, and is in the process running off their existing audience, while there are no guarantees, they're going to gain the eyes of the new one. Now you're taking another step toward that by destroying or or significantly reducing and altering one of the founding pieces of baseball as it stands in player development. It's insane. Well, I, I know COVID probably had something to do with it, the, the lack of revenue that came in, and not that baseball is a broke sport, but I'm trying to maybe hold out hope that, you know, after a season or two, things begin to return to normal, fans come back, that maybe they start to bring it back. Or maybe you'll see the rise of more independent leagues. Or maybe there's someone out there in the universe that's a huge baseball fan that has a very large bank account and comes in and and maybe starts some sort of developmental league, maybe. Part of me gets it. It's a business decision, and baseball is a business. But part of me does feel for a lot of those communities to where, like, a lot of people work down at the stadium, you know, from the – from the parking lot attendant to the concession stands. Of course, you know. clubhouse guys, yeah, even the, bat boys, you know, traditions. Yeah. I mean, the thing, too, is that, look, a lot of these, this is not that simple. I'll give you a case in point. West Virginia, they lose four minor league franchises. Well, in the last 25, 30 years, minor league baseball, 
like MLB, has had a building boom of stadiums and things like that. Now, I can tell you from when I was in AAA back, you know, mid-90s to mid-2000s that MLB had standards for these ballparks. In a lot of cases, these parks got built partially because there's that arm twist element there of, well, your your facility needs to conform to MLB standards for us to keep our franchise there, this and that. And so you can't mandate things that get these people to spend public dollars to build these facilities, then take their teams away. Sure, they're going to work more closely with collegiate wood bat league teams. That's not professional baseball which is the thing people sell this on. Look, when I was at Class A Peninsula, the big selling point, the opening line was always professional baseball right here in Hampton Roads. And the point is that, you know, you're taking away opportunities from all kinds of people. My point is that, yeah, I get to save a few bucks, but when you're giving Bryce Harper a 10-year, $300 million contract for a guy that's never done squat, on the other end of the spectrum... You're eliminating these franchises and all these jobs and all these efforts and all these taxpayer-funded entities and all this other stuff. What in the hell are you doing where it comes to the promotion of the overall sport and the health of the game? Well, you know an egghead came in there, an analytics guy, I'm sure. Look at this place. It's like a douchebag museum. (laughs) Sorry, I had to slip that in there. So I think he probably looked at some teams and said, you know, what, what kind of production are we getting out of these Well, let me tell you what it was. I'll tell you what it was. So all that revenue that goes to those minor league teams, that's their operating revenue. MLB doesn't get any of that. MLB provides players via a PDC, player development contract, which expired in September. As we know, because of COVID, they didn't have a 2020 minor league season. It was scrubbed. And that put Major League Baseball in the position of Total, not only strength, but but absolute minor league baseball was at their mercy. So they basically ramrodded this thing through. That's the vision of Manfred and his minions referenced in the cut a couple of moments ago, that they would save a bunch of cost and streamline the game. But again, it, it flies in the face of, oh, we want to grow the game. We want to develop fans for the game. B.S., BS. It's all money, man. Just admit it. It's all money. 100% financially motivated, but... Uh, Baseball doesn't have a Steve Young. See, I was wrestling yeah. with that earlier. Who in the hell... Would, I could think of an infinite number of people who'd be a better fit than Rob Manfred is. I mean, he's doing a Roger hold my beer here. Do you know who I think would be a great commissioner, but he's a little too long in the tooth and probably couldn't do it health-wise? Joe Torre? Maybe. Yeah. Bobby Cox? Yeah. Yeah, and uh, uh, Bobby's health the last couple of years hasn't been very good. But people like that, though. You could make the same case for John Sherholtz. But again, you know, he's kind of aged out of the position he was in for a long time and is largely retired now, and I get it. Although John was in as good a shape the last time I saw him and talked to him as at any time in his career, and that's just been a couple of years ago. Some other names I might throw out there, Tom Glavin. Yeah. Actually, you know, I thought about him earlier from the standpoint of intellect, everything else, business sense. You might have even at one point made a case that Derek Jeter would be a guy who could fit that kind of mold. But based on what's happened with the Marlins franchise, the jury's kind of out there. Yeah. Greg Maddox maybe even could be a great commissioner. But I think you would have to look at old players. You know what they need? They need a guy with the intellect of Tom Glavin. And the understanding of pitching in the game of Tom Glavin. And a guy with the sense of humor and personality of Tim Hudson. They need need a hybrid of those two guys. Because that would resell the game on what the game is, what the game has always been. But, you know, here we are inventing people, making robots out of personalities. But sometimes, you know, it helps if you look outside of of baseball. You know, maybe somebody outside in in the business world could come in and and have a fresh perspective. See, here's part of my problem with this, though, is that all these guys that are in charge are from outside. I used to say it to Galen Pitts, played for the Oakland A's way back. He was a hitting coach I worked with in AAA. You know what the game's biggest problem confronting it lying ahead is going to be? And he'd say, what's that? And I would say too many suits and not enough uniforms. Yeah, and unfortunately it pains me to say that the average American these days isn't intelligent enough to watch a baseball game. I think baseball still is the greatest American sport ever invented. I think it's one of the greatest sports on the planet. 
Love watching it. I took a break this year because I was really, really pissed off at the behavior of the players and the league no, trying to trying to get a season going. Yeah, and they really showed their asses to some degree. Well, and they also have a pending labor situation on their hands. Nobody talks about too. Yeah, I mean, there's going to be a labor issue with Major League Baseball sooner than later. As much as it pains me to say it, if they go on strike or there's any kind of work stoppage, I probably will never watch Major League Baseball yeah. again, and I'll probably focus more. And I might even go over to North Cobb or somewhere and, and watch a little high school baseball and, and you know, can, go watch Kennesaw State play baseball. I got to tell you, man, I mean, and again, it makes me a, most people would tell you, I'm already a bit of a weird individual, but it makes me a weird individual that my favorite level of college football is the FCS level. Yeah. My favorite level of football period these days is either the FCS level and on down including high school after the year that we just witnessed yeah watching because there's a purity to it yeah it's still about the game it's not just about who gets the bigger signing bonus who gets the best blue chip recruit and of course recruiting matters of course you want blue chip but you get the idea you know it isn't the money game it isn't all of that stuff it's about the game who can play the game Yep. and who the best people playing the game and, and their passion for what they're doing out there. And 100%. that flies in the face culturally. And I get it, man. It's a business. I mean, yes, of course, it's designed to make money. But when it's only about money, and I mean only about money, I start to fall off the wagon. Well, let's get back to the original point. We are swirling one Rob Manfred again. Hey, Rob, I'm pushing the knob. Hey, Manfred, your head is in the can of dread. Get over here. He's done this bubbling thing before. Breathe. Get in there, nice Breathe. It's exhausting, man. Don't nobody go in the bathroom for about 35, 45 minutes. Somebody open the window. You see the peanut? Dead giveaway. <laughs> that gets me every time. But, you know, I have, man, I have some passion for this because I spent 23 years of my career in baseball and 13 of those in the minor leagues and, of course, 10 in the major leagues. So you kind of see it at all levels, and you see how it evolves, and you see how when you see scouts that are guys who have given their whole lives to the game that are in their 50s that suddenly get let go because, well, we no longer need. People once ridiculed Marge Schott for saying we don't need scouts because all they do is watch baseball games. And now it's the damn business model of the sport. Congratulations, Manfred. Moron. Probably won't be the last time you hear me swirl him either. Hopefully he'll uh, get bounced from that job sooner rather than later. <laughs> Goodbye. And I wish I had something funny for you, but I don't. I'm infuriated again. I'm going to go off again because this human piece of trash, I'm sure everyone's heard about this, this moron, this crayon eater, this window-licking mouth breather by the name of Jarrell Williams was on a viral video striking a nine-year-old football player multiple times and knocking him to the ground. (sighs) And what's more shameful is the two other adults that were near the huddle did nothing to prevent it or stop it or curb it. I fully expected to see someone from the stands or a sideline run out there and clean this guy's clock. He is being brought up on charges. He has been fired from his job. He has been banned. But that's not enough for me. And I want to say I'm sorry. I feel sorry for your wife. I feel sorry for your children. I feel sorry for your parents and any family that they have to associate with a person of such low class, such low morals. At nine years old, who gives a damn who wins the football game? You're teaching them sportsmanship. You're teaching them what it means to be a good teammate. And more importantly, you're just getting the kids out to have a little fun and exercise. It is not the Super Bowl, you idiot. I hope you get punished to the fullest extent, but I just hope you are harassed for the rest of your life. I hope you can't go anywhere without someone recognizing you because it's not okay. Going back to that moron last week, what the hell is the matter with you? Yeah, You are mentally disturbed and you're a garbage human being, so you know where you need to go. I'm livid. I'm beside myself. What a trash human being. What have we become as humans? Yeah, Seriously. No Boy, you could ask that question on a lot of levels, but poetically speaking, hey, Jarrell, time for a swirl. Get over here. Ow! Ow! 
That's it, boy. Get in there nice and deep. Gonna have plenty of time to dry off. The reason that bad things happen to you is because you're a dumbass. And on that semi-somber note, we will wrap up edition 20 of Falcon's Flight. It's been fun bringing it to you. And again, you know, when you get to four and nine and you get to where you're officially eliminated in what was a dismal season, let's face it, even a couple of months ago when you started off so poorly, it is one of those where you just kind of look to get it over with and finish the thing on as strong and as high a note as possible and then look to the future, whatever that holds. Absolutely. And one last thing, if you fans are listening to this episode and you hear a little jingling in the background, (laughs) we were not coming live from the stables in the North Pole. Those are not reindeer. That's Brian's new cat. Yeah, that's a cat. Monkeying around in the studio. Yeah, it adopted us, man. And that's sad because we're very adoptable, as you well know. Some people sometimes have told me that on these shows they hear the dogs barking in the background, too. Yep, those are mine. Those are real. Them's my kids, as a wise man. It's a menagerie. It's it's a herd, is what it is. It's basically a a whole flock of them. But that'll about do it. We'll have episode number 21. And the way this season has gone, thankfully, we'll be old enough to have a beverage. Coming up next week. When we tell you what happens between the Falcons and the Buccaneers who take on each other this coming Sunday, division play for the Falcons, and again, the goal to try and finish strong. That is Falcons Flight Edition number 20. I'm Brian Giffen. He's Robert Taylor, and we appreciate all of you joining us. Falcons Flight is a presentation of Believe Entertainment, the number one site for podcast professionals. Do you believe we certainly do? Until next week, everybody, we are out thank you for listening to falcon's flight tune in throughout the season for updates insights and analysis on the dirty birds falcon's flight is a production of believe entertainment Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.